Hey kids, welcome to another exciting episode of Conspire a Theory. I have with me a very special guest, Quentin Merte of Chicanas versus Aliens. Joaquin Muerte. Joaquin Muerte. Yeah. God, that's my white showing. <laughs> Fuck. Joaquin Muerte, man. What up? What up? <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, I fucked that up, man. But yeah, tell me about your show. Tell me about you. So uh, my name is Joaquin Muerte. Uh, originally, my government name is Joaquin Abrego. I'm originally from Del Rio, Texas, from the body of the San Felipe. Uh, what up, San Fit? And uh, <clears throat> my podcast show is called Chica Next versus Aliens. Um, so the Chica Next really comes from the idea that uh, when we when we say Chica Next, we include everybody who is uh, all people, all person of color. Because first of all, the Chicano experience. And then second of all, intentionally including LGBTQ and which includes trans. And so like the, the, the X intentionally is an all inclusional. Um, but then when I said versus aliens, I thought it was a good play about like the idea of immigration and all that kind of stuff. But it really <laughs> is intentionally about UFOs, um, aliens, alien abductions, you know, anything paranormal, anything about, um, you know, like cryptids, especially when it comes to Rasa, when they speak about cryptids, the Kukui, you know, uh, and then uh, uh, anything that has to do around like occultism, dark black magic, you know, worship, devil worshiping or even just black and dark entities and that kind of stuff. But also coming from them, intentionally coming from the mouths of people of color, POC. Yeah. So um, that's really the the point of my podcast. And I was, I was really trying to gather the stories when I think that I feel like a I personally feel like when you listen to podcasts, a lot of it's very, like, white. Yeah, yeah. It's very Eurocentric. Yeah. Um, usually it's, uh, you know, there's, like, um, it's either from British culture or uh, Welsh or, you know, Scottish and Irish culture. Um, yeah. From the, the, the United Kingdom's uh, realms. And that's usually brought over here into the American culture. And because of our demographic, usually when we get any kind of like um, other influence, it's usually Native American. Right. Um, now, a lot of us do have Native American blood and Native American roots. But then there's also uh, also um, influence that comes from like, you know, south of the border, such as uh, Mexican uh, Hispanic themed culture. Um, I recently traced my, traced my roots to uh, Incan descent and mm -hmm. shit like that. Cause you know, cause, cause with, with me personally, I'm like, I'm like a half breed, <laughs> but I'm half white, half, half brown. So I kind of got my foot in both worlds, Yeah. but I'm, I'm so, you know, I, I've seen so much in, in paranormal of the Eurocentric yeah. culture and influence and it's fascinating. And there's so much more. Yeah. Cause when I look, when I dig into Japanese culture, they got a whole slew of monsters and shit like that. that yeah. I know so much. And so much folklore in their stuff. And now I'm just slowly starting to learn about Hispanic culture as much. And that's why I was so glad to reach out to you because you're coming up with all that stuff. And that's where you're coming from. Yeah, exactly. Man. And, then, you know, it's funny because one of the things that I, when, I, when I started to do this whole um, investigating or even just like looking into people who might have had some kind of experience with whatever experience that is, um, you know, a lot of um, people that I spoke to feel like they're like, uh, they don't want to say anything because they're just like, oh, no, nah, no, nah, that's cool, man. Like, and like, yo, but you, have you, you said you saw a UFO. You're like, yeah, but I'm not going to talk about it. And I'm like, why not, man? It's like, oh, I don't want to sound stupid or crazy, but it's, but when you you hear white folks talking about it, they're super praised, right? And so like, not that, 
not that I that, that I'm discounting what white folks are saying and that they're not actually happening, mm-hmm. but you, you, there's a, there's a realm there's a difference in the realm of who we are when it comes to being folks of color, like oh, that's loco or you know you're, you're you're crazy for thinking that way and and so um, my idea was to, to capture those stories and man it's been crazy because now that I'm like no matter where I'm at and people say hey man I heard about your podcast I'm just like oh yeah yeah and they're just like what's it, what is it about and I tell them oh you know it's about this, this, and that, and they're just like, "Oh, I got a story," and then, the, <laughs> and then it turns into just like that story, and then it turns into people talking their stories, and then it, yeah. I, the, I, it can change the whole dinner conversation. Every single person that comes up and says, "Man, that's some bullshit," they're going to come up to you 15 minutes later and say, "Hey, man, I heard this, or this happened to me." Yeah, every single goddamn time. Yep. Um, by the way, we're kind of we're kind of uh, taking the courage juice right here because mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're brewed up. A little bit. We're, we're a little bit of drinking. <laughs> Just so. getting started. So like like most of the other podcasts, when I start drinking, my, my speech starts to slur a little bit. So by the end of the episode, if I talk like this, you'll know why. <laughs> hey, man, just so you guys know, I'm also the same way whenever I do my podcast. So if you ever listen to like near the end of the podcast, you'll catch a little bit of me like slurring. But, you know, I've always kind of done – the it, when I was listening to um, – the higher side chats. You know, have you ever heard of that podcast before? I've heard of it. I haven't listened to any uh, episodes. Yeah, directly. they're great, man. But you know, it's of course it's like these guys are very well studied about, like you know, whatever the podcast, the, the subject is, and most of the time it's kind of weird stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But they that dude usually uh, smokes when he's on on his podcast. I don't, <laughs> I don't smoke, but um, whenever I figure like, well, you know, I'll talk spirits. I'm going to take in some spirits. So you know, that's what usually happens in my podcast. <laughs> I was thinking like a, like a cigar, but now it sounds like smoking something else. Yeah, yeah, some little extra, some little extra green. Oh god, that doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, um, as far as the cultural background and bringing in on the culture about that uh, with people of color and stuff like that, I mean, one of the things that you said in one of your early podcasts that really resonated with me was a line that you said something about waiting to be included into the conversation or waiting to be a part of the conversation, and it's that sort of thing where. You know, the paranormal, like all these people, they're usually open up to everyone, of course. Yeah. But of course, you know, it's, it's mostly just, you know, people that, that they're either already familiar with or already in the circles with that are calling in. And usually that's going to be, you know, predominantly white people. Mm-hmm. But that's mostly because we live at, we're, we're in the North American market that just reflects the, the market because it's predominantly, uh, white people. I remember when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I was watching TV and, and this was 20 years ago and I was watching the news and, and, you know, my mom, my mom was there and, and I heard that the Hispanic people had become the largest minority in America. Mm-hmm. And of course I laughed and said, Hey, uh, those dumb Mexicans. Mm-hmm. And then my mom smacked me upside the head and said, those are your people. And <laughs> then in the later, the article said, well, yeah, we're the largest, um, minority but we're also the largest under uneducated minority and i'm like ah and then my mom says see that you that you got to go out there and make that difference god damn it and that's yeah, just the man. sort of this thing is that you know you you got to get out there and and be a part of the conversation yeah that's i guess that's why people like you and me when we start we start our shows because uh i would listen to all these shows and i would listen and listen and like yourself, I want to be part of the conversation. Yeah. And I figured the only way that I'm going to do that is to start my own show, which I had done. And now we're in, we're having fun. I got all these interviews lined up with great people and all this stuff. And like yourself, and I got two more next week that are going to be a total blast. And it's, it's, 
it's been a great positive experience for me. And because of that, you sort of get this momentum going. And as you're going along, you know, it's like more stuff keeps going. You keep running into stuff. You keep running into more opportunities because you're putting yourself out there. You're being part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that was, and, and the funny thing was that, like, I've always kind of been in a space where people are telling their stories, right? Mm-hmm. And um, when, I, when I started to come to San Antonio, like, I started to experience some of the most, I guess, like, most paranormal stuff as an adult. Like I go back home to Del Rio, right? And I and I and I've always had my spiritual connection with that town. So whenever I go back, I just real I just know that that place is magic. When I came to San Antonio, like I was starting to run into people's houses that were like having dark stuff, or like mm. I was living in spaces where I was seeing you know dark apparitions and that kind of stuff. And so then I would talk to people about it. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, this is this and that. They're like, oh yeah, let me tell you my story. And then I was thinking like, oh, you know what? San Antonio is really haunted. Like the whole town is like, yeah. there's a lot of haunts in this yeah, town. We're- we have so many. I mean, just downtown. Yeah, nearly every single hotel has a ghost story, and 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 it, it makes sense because San Antonio is like the center of Texas almost. It's not the capital, but it's the place where people would pass through all the time. So all kind. This was like what you would call a port. San Antonio is a port, so people would come uh, to to deliver goods and to to, to travel and or you to have cows drink their water here and then continue the <laughs> long journey, right? So like as a port city. Of course, there's tons of people in and out of here, and so there's been all kinds of exchanges, and people have shaken hands and hugged and touched and and gone into all kinds of realms of like uh, uh, living here, staying here, or getting into some kind of relationship here. Yeah, so much history because so much happens here. And so with that, like the town's super haunted, right? So we understand that. Uh, so, but for me, I was thinking like, okay, but San Antonio is a mostly brown people town, right? So yeah. we're so we 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 hear this story about the Menger, and then we hear this we we associate it with the white guy that owned it. But like, mm-hmm. what about all the what about all the experiences of the people who are like cleaning the hotels? What about all the experience of the people who like m- you know might have were actually uh, the cannon fodder of the war during the Mex- Texas Mexican War and that kind of stuff? Like, there has to be tons of our own people. What, one haunting the place, two experiencing the haunts. But then, just that being said, like a lot of people have ex- had a lot of experiences here, and so yeah. it's crazy, man. And another another thing that I've noticed as to maybe why we're so silent about it is the cultural upbringing because a lot of Hispanic people come from a Roman Catholic background. So that sort of that, that faith is very strong. And I, I'm not that familiar with the Roman Catholic stuff, but I know that with some people, there's a lot of this, you know, we can't start trouble. If there's something, keep it under your hat type of thing. And we're, we're, we're slowly getting away from that. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to speak on that a little bit, right? So we do come from a Roman Catholic background. I don't. I'm originally, I'm, a, I'm an indigenous person. I'm Native American slash Native Mexican. Um, and my family is all, we've all practiced ceremony for all our lives. So every so often, my other relatives might get Roman Catholic involved and stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. come around the yeah. house. And some of our, we know some of those prayers, of course, because it's just so normalized in our community. But um, so I, as I'm saying this, right, um, we weren't originally Roman Catholics. We were originally indigenous people. Uh, even when I talk about the brown people of color community, right, especially um, those folks, the Roman Catholic was put onto us. Yeah. And done in a way that was kind of like oppressive. And so like in that same sense is our stories. Mm-hmm. People don't want to tell their stories. They're a little oppressed, and it's almost like a psychological oppression. Yeah, yeah, and and slowly the cultural 
um, significance and stuff like that slowly bleeds through the culture because we still have stuff like uh, De Los Muertos, Muertos and, and yeah. other and other you know traditions that 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 came that were sort of you know yeah they're, they're under the blanket of the Roman Catholic but they're still our own unique cultures because sure. one of the things that Christianity was doing even though it was spreading mm-hmm. it was spreading and you know a lot of it was you know it was you know at the, at the end of a gun at the end of a knife mm-hmm. it's how you had to survive yeah but a lot of the cultures, one of the things that, that, that Christianity did is it compromised a lot, especially in the United States. It did, like, man. just look at, look at Christmas. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Easter. Those aren't even centrally, centrally Christian holidays. They're mostly pagan holidays right. that, you know, yeah, the, we're celebrating Christ and all that stuff, but it's under the layings of these pagan rituals and stuff like that. Yes. And there's this history. And we're sort of like, you know, slowly getting a bit more, um, digging into history more and sort of peeling that, that layer back, sort of peeling off that, that filter, you know. Yeah. And I was in this, that's a great point, man. Cause, uh, because I, I, I feel, you know, I think that they started to talk about Christ and Christmas and all that stuff because, uh, Santa Claus started to get a little bit bigger than uh, Christ. And because of that, they wanted to, they wanted to oppress that and turn it into a, a Christian holiday. Which, which you're right, like it wasn't originally Christian holiday, but yeah, um, yeah I have, I've had those conversations with people too because a lot of people say that uh, Saint Nick, uh, Father Time, and even Death, right, which is La Santísima Muerte or even just Muerte, right, Death, has some kind of a, a tie with all the, they're all, they're kind of all tied together in a pagan religion, but Christianity separated them and now, you know, Christmas and Saint Nicholas and is 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 a, an icon of Christmas, but uh, it's now mostly Christian holiday, right? Which yeah, people always yeah. say, like, oh, you know, like this is the time. To- yeah, yeah. And now, like, and now it's gotten to the point that that I think Christianity is still at odds with Christmas. Yeah, yeah, still <laughs> because sure. because they they you still see the the reason for the season movement and <laughs> and you know and it's like Santa Claus is you know well he's a commercial now. And it's just, you see how culture goes through these ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of like, um, as much as I hate to say it, something gets exploited and it gets beat to death like oh a dead horse. Yeah. Especially in our, our internet meme a minute. Oh my God. You know, God. outrage culture. It's, it just happens. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, one thing that is sort of a good, uh, I guess sort of a double edged sword as well is, um, that, that, what is it? The latest, um, the latest movie from the, from the, what is it? That, that, that scary universe, uh, La Llorona. Oh, La Llorona, La Llorona. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that, that's, that's a, I know, man. Hispanic theme story. Yeah, man. But it's been, it's great that it's, that it's out there and more people are learning about this, this, uh, scary story. And it's probably a scary story that me and you probably heard of when we were kids. Yeah. And it's nice to see it, you know, given the big Hollywood treatment. But it's sort of shouldered in under the, uh, like I said, the Eurocentric mm-hmm. uh, model of the Warrens and I stuff had that, like that. Yeah, I had that conversation with somebody because I was saying, you know, they'll never be – the story will never be told the right way. Because uh, – and now that they're – now they're, you know, putting it in the Hollywood realm, especially like the – and that's not even really like a beef – well, I haven't seen it yet. Has anybody seen it yet? It's not out yet, right? Uh, yeah, it's out in the theaters now. Oh, okay. I've, I've heard it's pretty good. People say it's really good. So I, I just feel like, you know, they have to put it into the constructs of what is horror, mm-hmm. the horror genre. Uh, but, you know, the actual story will never be told the same. And- yeah. 
Yeah, and and it's sort of a, a, I mean, every now and then, you know, Hollywood gets it right, at least in spirit. Uh, like, uh, what was that last one? Coco? Yeah. Oh, I love the fuck out of that movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. You know, it's funny because, and I thought they did it right. Yeah. Because they had advisors from the community. Exactly. They got regular people to tell to tell them their their stories and to give that imagery and to kind of form and shape that movie up. And and that's a good way to do it. Yeah. That's a good really good way to do it. Yeah. So I'm curious about how how informed the people who produced and directed La Llorona how informed they were. Where did they go? Who told them the stories? Was it <laughs> was it only California? Cuz there's a Llorona in Texas. Yeah. And there's a Llorona stories in Texas, especially by the border, which is river water, water stories. Yeah, I mean we'll have to we'll have to see because you know, and I'll be honest, I'm not going to watch the movie. I don't do scary movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's but but knowing that that cultural influence is out there, I see that as a net positive. That's a gain yeah. because then people want more, and now it's up to you know us and other you know um, creators, content creators within the community to present that to them. Yeah, hang on a minute, I got to go grab another beer. <laughs> Yes. Keep talking. Well, my dad told me a really good Yorona story. And that changed my life for a little bit. Because he would take us to a spot where he said that you could see it. Like it was a reoccurring ghost. I had no idea that other people had had that experience. Um, And, uh, of course, it was just, it was a way to get, it was a way for him to get us to behave. And so he would take us out there and we would just be crying like, no, 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 take us home, take us home. And we would be waiting for it, you know. <clears throat> but, uh, my dad, yeah, he, he was, he was the, um, scary story, scary story, the storyteller, scary storyteller. Uh, yeah. My mom was the one that, that handled that. Um, she was the, the, like, I don't, I like, like most Hispanic families, uh, my mom was a matriarch. She was the one in charge. Uh, dad was her support. Anything that that I would guess would be paranormal that ever happened, I would bring it to my mother. And I think she was in an effort to protect me. If if anything ever happened, she would just say, "Oh, those are your angels. Mm-hmm. That's your angels." And I and I think she tried to, you know, sort of like protect me from the paranormal in that sort of way. Mm. But that's sort of how she filtered it for me. Nice. Same here, man. Same here. Well, my mom was definitely one the one that was more connected to the spiritual world my father is too uh, but my mother's a little bit more and um yeah when i had experiences it was me between me and her that we would talk about it and my father would he would kind of confirm some things and say like yeah yeah i, I know what you understand i know what you're seeing or this and that but my mom would be all like me too or like yes i saw those too and like that kind of, and i talk about it in, in my in, i think in my second episode I talk a little bit about it. How my mother had confirmed some things that I had been seeing. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And and so yeah, she was definitely like on top of being the matriarch as well in the family, but she was also like um, she was also very spiritually connected. Um, she, I, I wouldn't say that she was a curandera because I, some curanderas they do that for a living. Uh, my mother didn't do that for a living, uh, but she had very special she had very special ability to heal, especially within our own family. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when people had some kind of illnesses and they needed that holistic energy. They, my, they would, you know, come to my mom. And so, you know, yeah, that's definitely a similar story. Um, 
But it's cool that we brought up La Llorona because I haven't had the chance to talk about that yet. <laughs> and I'm, I definitely want to start talking to some folks about it in the border. Uh, and I'm, I can't wait to go home to have some of these conversations. But yeah. Del Rio was definitely, because we have a river that goes right through it. Uh-huh. Del Rio's river definitely was a conduit for some kind of energy, man. Yeah. Um, when, it, when it comes to another thing that you said on was getting the family together. Mm. Whenever my family would get together, you know, all the women would get together and they would exchange ghost stories and witch stories. And the little kids, we're supposed to be asleep, but we're in the next room over and we're listening. Listening. Yeah. That piece going. Or you call them the cucharas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you hear about all these, you know, classic experiences like, like the, the witches and stuff like that. And even when we would go to my grandma's house and we'd run around the neighborhood. Uh, down in Brownsville. Oh, Brownsville, man, of course. And, and we'd run around the neighborhoods and, you know, there, there are some places we couldn't go and it's like, well, why? Because the witch lives there. <laughs> you don't go, you know, or, or the, the, don't go so deep into the fields because, you know, the witch will come and get you and stuff like that. There was always something out there. Next door to my grandfather's <laughs> house, we had a, a girl who had been possessed for the majority of her life and died in possession. And so the story was that she, they could see the possession from where they would see her, like her, like walking in her room where she was like crazy in her room. Uh-huh. And so people were like, we'd go look and we'd go try to see if we can see her. And none of us ever actually saw it. But there was the story about my, the next door neighbors never going into that house because there's a woman that's possessed in the house. And they, and they, they maintained her and had priests that would go pretty regularly. And I, I don't know if any of this is true, mm. uh, but that was one of the ways that we stayed out of that yard, which was yeah. like a big yard that you would play at. We want to play at like, you know, a uh, hot tag and hide and go seek and that kind of stuff. But yeah, grandpa's house, he lived there forever. And that block where he lived was his, his stomping grounds. And so there was a long history of my family in that neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I just believed him, man. I didn't even know if that was true or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, so much of this of the of the culture stuff is wrapped up in that that family unit. Yeah, and it's that that lineage. You know, it's that that endless sea of cousins and uncles and, and yes, tias dude. and stuff like that. Yeah, dude. And it's just it's that's just I think because of that it 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 lends itself to a lot of spiritual strength. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you know, I mean. Because that's one of the things that I've noticed in the paranormal community is that, you know, we have these experiences, but we deal with it. Yeah. Like, I, I want to say, like, well, we deal with it better than the white people. Because, <laughs> I mean, at, at the end of all the, all the Eurocentric stories, it's always, you know, and the ghost comes and the end and you're done. Yeah. But with us, it's like, you know, it's it's about, you know, like. You you run to mom. Yeah. You, you run to mama. You run to auntia. You you run to you know your your uncle. You, uncle yeah. Joe takes care of it. You know. It also also um you know uh, we have these methods that we our families took uh, from I think old indigenous ways of curing or what we say curing what might be a, a paranormal activity of in our house and. And that's like, you know, using like sage or like using like copal or like using stuff to like that you would burn to like kind of lift spirits. And that we see nowadays and like we see ghost hunters and their, their primetime TV show spots. And then they say, okay, well now we're going to like use the sage to cleanse the house. And say, like, okay, where, where do people think that came from? That came from <laughs> us. That's our stuff. We, we're the ones that learned how to lift those spirits. And so like that's just a, an old, old practice from an old ancient herb that was given to us and that we respect. And so 
when we talk about lifting the spirits, a lot of us have those practices. And, you know, so, we, yeah, so say, for example, if there's a hunt in the house, uh, you know, it's probably going to be there until we get tired of it. And sometimes the families will deal with it. And they'll be all like, oh, yeah, well, you know, every night around this hour, the, you know, your, your primo walks through the house. <laughs> or, or they say, you know what, I'm tired of the primo's knocking stuff over, so I'm going to have to lift the spirit. And Yeah, yeah. Like, there, there's a means of, of protection and also a way of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And even in the, like, the Roman Catholic stuff, when that was influencing, you know, there was always a rosaries in the house or, mm-hmm. or something of that nature. There was always something, some, kind of protection, yeah. some type of means of, of spiritual combat and mm-hmm. defense. And that was sort of always there. And it was just part of the, the family. It was yeah. just, it's just something that was just ingrained. And on that same, on that same level, man, whenever I talk about my paranormal stories and my own personal experience, uh, a lot of it has to do with, the idea that it's so normal for me that it's not actually paranormal for me. So, like, whenever I, I, whenever I might see a ghost, of course, I'm like, maybe like in the beginning, I'm like, oh, oh, you know, like I might freak out a little bit. But after a little while, I'm just like, okay, we're here, we're together. Like, let's see what we can come. And I, and I've noticed this from really good paranormal investigators. And that I'm not, I'm not a paranormal investigator, yeah. but my, I've had experiences, right? And so, I, I with really good imp- paranormal investigators, they don't freak out. They'll like, okay, they saw it, and then they're like, okay, can you do that again? Or they'll be like, I'm gonna come to you. Um, but I've noticed some paranormal investigators, like for example, um, Haunted Adventures or whatever that dude's name, the one with the glasses and the, the guy that looks kind of uh, douchebaggy, the, the Zach Baggins. Guy. Yeah, 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 that dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has a great collection. The dude has a good, a lot of good stories. But that dude, every time a ghost moves a tiny little something, that dude's freaking out and yelling around and stuff. And I'm just like, of course that makes good TV, but it doesn't make good paranormal investigation. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, it's like it's like we come from a position of doing more than just freaking out and getting scared. Yeah, and and that I I think that's something that is sort of like we see that influence pouring into the um paranormal uh the the mainstream community right. that we see that we see that pouring into the shows now because well number one they have to up the ante for sure and just getting the TV yeah and just getting scared show. and running out of the house isn't enough anymore you know cuz you know, it's like oh we we got to we got to keep people in seats and and it's just it, you know it, i mean it's there's so much to it and and you know from the the spiritual sense as well you know the one thing that I ha- so I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of paranormal experiences, especially amongst talking with Rasa and that kind of thing. But I haven't gotten to get a lot of UFO conversations, and that's the stuff that I, I mean. You know, like there's a lot of UFO stuff happening, and there's a lot more activity nowadays. But I haven't had like, people that have, except for one dude, just one dude so far that has a uh, that has a um, UFO story, which is going to be in episode three. Um, but that that's something really rare amongst amongst our folks, amongst people of color so far. I mean, I don't think so, but and so far in my gathering experience, I haven't had a lot of good uh, people of color experience uh, with UFOs and aliens and that kind of stuff. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just one of those, you know, it it's probably still out there, but the people just aren't coming as, as forward as they would, you know, regularly. Um, I can imagine because... I think it also falls into the veil of the spiritual stuff like that because I've heard lots of instances where the um the aliens and the entities of themselves, you know, if if you bring that to mom, she's gonna say, Oh, those are demons, that's yeah. the devil, 
you know, it's, it's, and sometimes there is that context of, of old world Christianity of, you know, if it's not God, it's obviously the devil. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's also the other, the other idea that it might be apparitions of saints. Mm. That's another big one too, that uh, people will see, like, for example, like the Fatima, uh, the Fatima story where they saw the, uh, the Santa Fatima in the skies. Yeah. And, and, and then, and then everybody was like, oh, it was, you know, it's a saint. But then a lot of people were like, well, I don't know. It was like gold, glowing gold, you know, sphere. That's what I saw. And so, you know, it's really, it kind of, I, I'm wondering what might be that's holding people back from saying, hey, I'm sorry, I saw, I might have saw a UFO. Or, hey, I, I think I'm, there might be a, some kind of weird activity happening around my house that's extraterrestrial. But most of the time, I mean, but I haven't had anybody come forward yet. Yeah. And so, hey, if you're listening to this <laughs> and you had an experience, I'm super down to talk with you about it, man. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah me too. I've, I've run into a few, um, very few contactees and I, I'm trying to get them onto my show as well. And it's, it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess it depends on, on when you put yourself out there long enough, eventually they'll come rolling to you. Yeah. But it's just, it's as far as finding them in the wild, it's very difficult at times because sometimes there, there are some people that they're just genuinely disturbed. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's not, you know, I, I mean, maybe, they, talk about maybe they are having the experience, but maybe it's an additional, they have, they have other problems too For compounded sure. on it. And you don't want to, you know, exacerbate that, yeah. the additional stuff. But as far as the alien and the lore and the stuff like that, I mean, it's when, whenever I see the, the, you know, amazing alien caught on tape videos, there are so many of them that are caught from, uh, you know, um, um, Latin and Hispanic and Spanish speaking countries Yeah, from, from their stuff from Peru, their stuff from Brazil. Mm-hmm. There's so many of these great, you know, alien stories are from, you know, outside of the U S and, and it's remarkable. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, in the more of the Spanish speaking countries and, and maybe in some instances also, they don't have that stigma of, 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 you know, well, within, within their culture of, of, you know, talking about it, cause they'll, they'll talk about it openly and it's not really a thing of ridicule. They, there might, if there's any kind of ridicule, it's not on the level that we do it. Right, right, right. And, and, and it's funny because I think you're, when you, as you're saying that, yeah, like, for example, if you're, if you live in like the Ciudad de Mexico, right, which is central Mexico, you'll have, uh, people who live next to places of like what they would call like these vortex, powerful vortex areas. Like, you know, people live in the city where they share the city with, uh, with pyramids. Mm-hmm. Same thing goes with, uh, like central, central Mexico or central America, Brazil and those places. They have like these really, uh, massive old indigenous stuff that might be just what, when they walk outside, like it's a central part of their town or a central part of their cities. And, um, you know, since see, see San Antonio or even Texas doesn't have a lot of that stuff. We have, a lot of that stuff is like gone. Mm, uh, but for yeah. example, like the Alamo, like you know, there's a lot of conversation we're having about the authentic, authenticity of the Alamo. Um, and so, like you know, we can't say like, oh, this was the grounds where you know it went down. Um, but but you know, in places like even like Arizona or like New Mexico, they have like these giant giant like mountains and places where they're like they they would call places of energy, and so. It makes more sense to be able to see that the indigenous people and like people from Brazil, like Peru, that they're experiencing this stuff because they're around magical places already. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and so yeah, I guess you know I could understand that where it's not, 
you know, that they, they might be having or more out about experiencing or their experiences. The other thing too is that um I knew this I knew this dude from well his family's from Mexico, but they lived in San Antonio mm-hmm. and this guy did a whole book talking about the town of Tepochlan. And uh, that's in Mexico, and um, it's known for its big mountain. And at the top of the mountain is where a lot of famous priests used to get together. And uh, and he talks about how the whole side of the mountains were all marked, and there was like, there's always like they had seen like uh, you know like UFOs flying out of the mountain, that places had been visited up there, that people go there to seek vision, that kind of stuff. And so the guy's family was. In family was in San Antonio, but the guy lived in Mexico. But he wrote mm-hmm. this really good book about Tepochtlan, and I got to, I got to visit that town one time, and it was super magical place, man. Mm. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and another thing there is the the pyramids and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got that pyramids and stuff like that, and it's sort of you know similar in in design and and style, almost to the, like the Egyptian pyramids, and yes. there's some pyramids. Uh, in deep India and stuff like that in China and they have pyramids and stuff like that. Everybody's got pyramids. And of course, I mean, yeah, I can get that, you know, we hey. got the, we got the frost bank tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I, hemisphere tower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, I can get that, that the geometric shape is probably the easiest to, to produce, you know, but you know, it's, it, there's gotta be some kind of, I do feel like there has to be some level of synchronicity or parallel thinking, that they were trying to achieve the same means when they were all doing, you know, pretty much running on the same blueprint almost. Right. I mean, each one has their own unique style. Mm-hmm. Like, like they, they have their own, you know, gods and goddesses and rituals and, and, and culture wrapped up in it. But it's sort of, you know, the same thing. You know, we're all using the same means. Yeah. Well, I've heard, I've actually heard, and I don't know if, I don't know, this is just if I've heard, right? But, People talk about how they were placed in certain points of the planet because they were supposed to help keep some kind of a environmental cleanse balance or some kind of energy balance. And so where they're all placed around the world is unique to, is special to where they all relate to each other. Yeah, yeah, some kind of a synchronicity thing. Yeah. And that sort of, you know, energy management thing. Cause if you just look at the, the, the Great Pyramid, I mean, the thing is some kind of, you know, energy furnace of some sort. Yeah. It's not a tomb. I mean, people say, oh, it's a tomb for this one guy, you know, and it's like, mm, mm, no. Maybe he, maybe he was like, yo, bear me in there because I want to have that energy too. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I don't like, think it was dedicated to that dude. Now. Yeah, it, it's like, hey, that's a cool place. I'm going to go there. You know? But the but, idea of dedicating such giant structures to a deity or an entity that they truly believed in is something pretty crazy, though. Like, Well... That's the Egyptian culture. I don't even. We don't even know if they're the ones that built it. They they right, may, they yeah. may authentically recognize it, and they might have they might have tagged it when they were there. You know, with their, with their own cultural influence. Right. But you know, there's still debate on whether or not that stuff was there before even they showed up. Right. Because there's like weathering on the Sphinx and stuff that says that was there way, way longer yeah. than the culture that was there. Because the the Sphinx head that was sort of them, you know, appro- appropriating that structure. And sort of throwing their cultural twang onto it, but it might have been, you know, there way before then. I don't know if the same argument is made for the pyramids, but I know that argument is made for the Sphinx. Oh, for the Sphinx. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting, man. That's a great, that's a great topic. Now I'm going to look into a little bit more, but, uh, yeah, and that's the same, 
the same goes for just the, uh, the uh, civilization of indigenous populations, even around Texas too, because they have found some like cave markings and paintings and that kind of stuff. And and a lot of people were like, oh, you know, that's the indigenous population from like you know the 1900s. And it's like, well, research shows that they were around like up to 40,000 years. And that's how old some of those paintings were. And it's to think that, well, we're given. We're giving our our realm of existence from when we talk about the Bible. We're giving it like two to three thousand years, and and we're talking about forty thousand years ago of indigenous yeah. people. Like, come on, yeah. And yeah. just in Texas alone, so I could just yeah. imagine how other places with giant trees and <laughs> big in, in, in structures, you know, might have even an older older existence. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is. I mean, there's just, I mean, as far as history, we're still learning how. To do it. I mean, because when it comes, because, I mean, we all know that, you know, history is written by the winners. That's, that's just the way that it is. And who knows how many cultures are getting wiped out. And because of that, their influence and their, their signature on the world is being wiped out as well. Um, but with that, you know, when we're digging up all these artifacts and stuff like that, you know, we're learning new and exciting ways to dig stuff up and, and to make things happen. And, and it's just, you know, and we're learning new stuff as our science improves. I mean, I think just now they figured out like, Oh, all the dinosaurs had feathers. (laughs) Which ties really closely to Aztec tradition. Um, But you're right. When you're, when you're saying that it's one of the big reasons why I decided to start this podcast. Yeah. Because, because I want the stories to be told and, and, um, you're, like you're saying, man, the stories, the history is made by the win, by the storytellers are the winners. People stuck around to say those stories, and I'm like, okay, we got to capture these winners. There's a lot of yeah. people in the city that have time to time to start winning. You time know, to start time, winning, time to start man. getting yeah. into the fight. You know, not just not just waiting for. Yeah, yeah. You know, no one's gonna t- tell your story for you. Mm-hmm. It's time for all of us to step up in a sort of way. Yeah, and and, and any moment that the conversation has to get really deep, man, I throw my record. And I like the recorder that you have because <laughs> well, I'll, I'm gonna hopefully go in that direction too. But I throw my phone on. I throw my voice recorder on when the conversation starts to get deep. And I've had, I've captured some amazing stuff that I don't think the quality is worth putting onto my podcast. But I've had some beautiful stories being told about, like just the most amazing things happening in our neighborhood and in the neighborhoods where uh, people are being raised. And it even has a tie into um, uh, like uh, traditions, you know, like oh, like yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, but yeah. the senora that lived next door, she had her way and the way that she did it, and then oh, this is what we saw like coming out of her house around like midnight or one thirty, and, <laughs> and I'm just like oh wow, like I never even know that was a tradition, you know, like she started talking about a tradition that people had back in the day, uh, and I didn't even know that was a tradition, but p- people know that that now uh, it's all it's all lost, and so people don't know about yeah, that stuff, I mean know? it's it's that 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 gets me because. The other one I want to mention too is that uh, the tradition of, and this is a big conversation that uh-huh. I've had too, is the tradition of the uh, La Lechuza, hmm. uh, which will be your next big box office movie. <laughs> but uh, La Lechuza, right, which is a story that was also told alongside with La Llorona, right? La Lechuza uh-huh. was a story that uh, is also indigenous. Um, but it's gotten lost in the realm of now, oh, the Lechuza is just an owl. So we know the Tecolote also is an indigenous word, Tecolote. But tecolote is owl in Spanish, and, and and la lechuza is another translation for owl. And where does that come from? Um, and so now people say like, oh, I saw la lechuza, and it's just like, oh, you saw an owl. It's like, yeah, oh, okay, well that for me, that's not a lechuza. 
a lechusa is something more magical, more of a cryptid. And, uh, and, and, but people have lost in translation because of the winners telling the stories that um, La Lechusa is just an owl. Yeah. And I think that that's a whole other tradition that's getting mixed up with what is the magical creature of the cryptid of La Lechusa. Mm-hmm. Fight me, debate me. I want to totally <laughs> talk about it. Other folks who are listening to this, I would love to hear people's like what they might have heard from back in the day. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yo, let me grab another beer. Yeah, yeah, you do that. <laughs> hmm. I'm trying to think back of something that, that I was, I had a brain fart. Uh, grabbing a beer, drinking a brew. That's what we need in the paranormal realm, more of liquor. <laughs> yeah. We need to throw in more liquor into the paranormal. Oh, I could imagine what those kind of debates would turn into. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the kind of ghost hunting show we need where, where the guys, they sit around, they get drunk, and then they go ghost hunting, drunken ghost hunting. That, let me just say that the <laughs> episode three of my podcast is done, basically that. <laughs> One of the homeboys didn't partake as much as the rest of us did, but um, my brother-in-law is a connoisseur of good whiskeys. <laughs> and so he brought a couple bottles with us just so we can taste as we're talking. And we went to the um, the aqueducts on the south side oh. off of Mission Espala Road. It was around about 10.30, and um, we, while we were there, we said, okay, we, we kind of put a little, um, what do you call those, uh, a jello, uh, um, jam jar, uh-huh. kind of just kind of put it halfway with some whiskey, enough to have like maybe two, three shots while we're there, and then walked kind of as far as we can into the, into the aqueduct and started sipping as we went, and as we were there, the conversation just got deeper and deeper and deeper. As we were coming back is when it all started to happen. <laughs> we started to hear things. Things started to get tossed around. People started to get kind of nervous. And my, my brother-in-law, who's a gun carrier, started cocking his gun. And like, <laughs> it got it got fun, man. It was so fun. Yeah. And then we took some really good pictures. And, and um, if you follow me on on social media, um, my pictures under Joaquin Muerte, um, the pictures had all had like uh, orbs, which yeah. a lot of people discount orbs as. Uh, insects or dust dust particles yeah and then the other thing that was happening was that we had a full moon those nights and so um a lot you know a lot of core people were talking about the correlation between the moon and like the reflection on the lens but the one thing was that when we were taking these photos the uh, orb was moving around it was like kind of like it was all like all over like the, the screen and so we were all like oh my god like take a picture now and then we would take it it would be like right on my shoulder we'd take a picture be right on my face and then I, uh, some woman who I, I, I guess she's somewhat of an empath or some kind of like a psychic, has some psychic energy, some kind of feelings. She looked at the pictures and she was like, "Don't you don't see all the faces in the pictures?" So then she started sending me the, where she was circling them. She would send me the circle where she would see all the faces, and you can kind of see it. But I guess she just kind of felt like she was seeing it more. And yeah, I, I think that's. Uh, it was an exciting evening then. What is that? That that pareidolia, where you see faces in in shapes and stuff. Yeah, like that. I was wondering what like they call the that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I in some in some instances, you know, I have a hard time with it because a lot of people like to use that for cryptid photo photography, and it's you know sometimes I'm looking, it's like uh, I that's a tree. I, I you're you're you're. It's very very difficult. They're reaching, you know? yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of reaching, but. You know the whole being out there, and then you get into that that mindset where you're not you're not you don't have that barrier up. 
like like that that barrier of you know hey let if something happens just let it happen, and then something decides to roll in. Yeah, that that's that's good. Which is why I appreciate the um, cryptid UFO and ghost people that that do the meetups. Is that a lot of them are very skeptical? I would say that me, I tell, I told people this from the beginning that when they listen to my podcast, I'm not a skeptic. Um, but you know, I've never been one. But I have had like really, really heavy paranormal experiences. So now I'm like even less of a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I probably now I'm seeing things with the lens of that bias, like oh, you know, like there's a face in that in the leaves, and that's a leaf monster, you know, or whatever. But yeah. yeah. But you know that's. But I appreciate people who are skeptics in that same balance of the realm because it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, you know, you need to have that balance. Like, oh, maybe you're just tripping. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm skeptical. I'm heavily skeptical myself, and and it's more critical. But I still want to hear the story. Yeah, I still want to hear. You know, I mean, if the alien came into your yard and was messing with, and stole your strawberries, I still want to hear it. Yeah. If if you got a picture of him munching on them, you know, yeah, let me see, you know, and and oftentimes, you know, there there are a few times where I'm you know disappointed, but there are a few times where yeah. I'm genuinely intrigued. Yeah, like the uh, the Patterson Gimlin footage. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that is, you know, for me, it when I have it, and I have you know a learned person who knows what the hell they're talking about explaining it to me. At that point, I'm like, you know. Maybe this is a good case because it's so easy to say, oh, that's just a guy in a gorilla suit. Mm-hmm. And I can see that sometimes, but then there are some days where I'm looking at it and I'm like, you know, because there are other questions other than, you know, is it a guy in a suit? But there's the question of, you know, well, if it's such, if it's, if it could so easily be a guy in a gorilla suit, then, you know, recreate it. Show me the guy in the gorilla suit. Show me the guy. To. Show yeah. me the gorilla suit. I must say, though, people people talk shit about me because I walk <laughs> like that. And so, yeah, I always say, oh, I got that Sasquatch walk. And it's just that same <laughs> it's that same video that people say, oh, you walk just like that. Uh, but, yeah, uh, that's the the famous footage where they're walking across the trees, right? And the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, uh, a lot of people talk, talked about the um, – about why well, I've noticed this more recently, but um, the breasts that they noticed. Yeah, the, the pendulum breasts. Yeah, yeah, the the patty, patty, the female Sasquatch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, and then there's that question of you know, because I'll admit I'll never be out in the field because well, number one, I'm 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 chicken shit, and number two. <laughs> You know, not just chicken shit, but also I'm a magnet for mosquitoes and stuff like that. Oh, it's like, yeah. it's just the white in me. They they love white meat. So <laughs> they can see the blood. <laughs> they, they're they're going to come and they're going to get me. <laughs> but you know, but I'll be I'd be there on the outskirts. I have no problem of of you know of someone else going out there getting the experience and coming back and telling me all about it, provided they survived. <laughs> Wait, watch out! The cuckoo's gonna eat you. No, no. Uh, I, I, I would totally be down to go too, man. Um, I just haven't ever been given the opportunity. Uh, Mike uh, from the Midnight Paranormal Society gave me the opportunity to go um, investigating, but I'm a professional musician. So mm. um, when I'm not, we're actually doing my full time job. I'm actually I'm gigging full time, and so it's if I get a if somebody says hey I want you to play a a, a wedding that night I have to take the wedding because it makes the money. yeah yeah you got to make that cash yeah and I usually don't get out of work till about you know two thirty um, when it comes to music like I'm playing either playing a club or a, a party and then not I'm not done till about two thirty actually getting home and that's around the time that they're packing up. Mm. 
they have done some overnight uh, uh, paranormal investigations, but um, I just haven't had the opportunity, yeah, man. And yeah. so, I, but I, I'm super down, and I would love to actually go out into the forest and hear the noises and the cracking of the barks, and you know, the I hear that they have these hoots and these sounds and stuff, and yeah, the whoops and shit the like whoops, that. Whoops, yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I respect Bigfoot, but you know, Dogman's my, he's my bro. Dogman's my bro. At one of the meetups, I met a dude who said that he had some investigations and some evidence of uh, a werewolf. Hmm. And I was stoked about that because I'm just like, okay. You've heard of the Converse werewolf, right? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Yes. The, the Converse werewolf. The Converse werewolf. And I'm like, oh, that is so fucking awesome. Right in my back, literally in my back fucking yard. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's right. That's right down the street from yeah. Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. That's right down the street from Kirby. Uh, up in Converse, which is like, you know, a couple streets over. It's, it's just, and, um, even in, even back here, you know, we're, we're, we're on the northeast side, but right behind me on one of the roads is the Black Swan Inn, which is one of the. Really? That's right yeah. down the street from here? Mm hmm. Oh man. That's actually is it's it's an extremely it has so much history and it is gorgeous. It is a gorgeous building, but unfortunately it's very low on the upkeep. Even though they hold all these events up there, I don't know, it's very difficult for them to keep it up. So, you know, it's it's, so it's just, not it's not open for business no more. They have fests and tours and stuff like that and you can contact them for weddings and stuff like that. They're open for any kind of business. They're open for business, but it's not something you could just walk right in. You can't like get a room there, like. No, no, I don't think so. I I don't know. Well, I know that upcoming paranormal fest is going to be there, and, yeah. I, and I totally want to be there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to try to sneak in. <laughs> just joking, just yeah. joking, yeah. <laughs> it, it's hard. They got armed security, <laughs> yeah. which, which, which is a, which is an old man with his arms rolled up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's a great. It's a it's a really interesting place, and when there's stuff going on down there, I try to make it out. But the Black Swan Inn it has a lot of history. Wow, yeah. I'm excited about that. I'm actually very excited. Well, because I've heard a lot that, that that place even gives a little competition to the manger. Yeah, I mean the I think it was the the Emily Morgan, a friend of mine, used to work there, and, mm. and he used to tell me about all these ghost stories that he used to that they used to have all the time that would come up there you know about ghosts in the hallways and haunted rooms and stuff like that and i'm pretty sure every single hotel if you dig enough if you ask the right people they're gonna have something to say about it and that's just and i i have to wonder the whole haunted stuff is it really because we we attach so much history to it I mean, I, I kind of wonder because, you know, England gets a lot of, you know, they have tons of haunted shit, mm -hmm. but they also have tons of history too. Mm -hmm. And, and all these other, other places, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure they have tons of history too. And it's like every single historical place, you know, sooner or later, someone's going to see something and then it's going to have that sort of haunted, um, flair to it so much that it's practically marketable for them to, you know, be the haunted hotel to be the haunted that and that. And I have to wonder all these other places, you know, that don't have any history, you know, I mean, I remember when ghost, remember when the ghost, the show ghost hunters, yeah, they would like kill those like spots. They would like go to the spots and be like, sorry, your place isn't haunted. Um, and, it, and I'm wondering what, you know, they, they, a lot of the owners would say like, well, you know, I'm still going to say that it's haunted because we saw what we saw. Yeah. But, well, that's one of those, you know, just because it didn't happen when they were there doesn't yeah. mean it's not going to happen for <clears> someone else. And, 
another thing with that, that haunting stuff, I wonder how much of it is us, you know, front loading ourselves for the experience. I always, yeah, I thought I, I always tell people that too. And then I always kind of throw that disclaimer when I tell people like, you know, I saw something and I'm just like, wait, I'm not like the, the not, I'm, I'm a believer. So, you know, I'm wondering how much of that part fueled what I maybe might have seen. Yeah. But. How, how much of it is us, is us seeing something and how much of it is us wanting, wanting to see something? Yeah. To see something. Yeah. But, you know, the, I wanted to speak on what you said about historical, uh, you know, haunts and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, when uh, a lot of the indigenous folks, they do, they use, whenever they do ceremonies, especially around uh, like teepee ceremonies and uh, overnight uh, candle ceremonies where they do, you know, old, the old practices of, of doing these, uh, uh, building these altars and calling on the spirits, which is a very, Typical practice of indigenous uh, c- ceremony. Um, they use rocks that are known for um, holding spirits uh, for a moment of time. And so, like, the rocks that we use for ceremony are indigenous to the land around here. Mm-hmm. And so, it makes sense to me sometimes when we talk about how, oh, there's a, you know, uh, haunt walking around the Emily Morgan or even around the downtown area, right? Which, like, you know, is old San Antonio, which, which downtown, old San Antonio is down, downtown. And, um, especially the West Side too, which is also old San Antonio. Um, and all that's on top of these, you know, on the in the layer of the, the under where we, our houses are built and our roads are built are these rocks. And so, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it makes sense that some of these, uh, moments of time are being captured and maybe possibly replayed throughout yeah time. I, I i know what the phenomenon you're talking about is the um the 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 rocks recording the history i think in quarries with a lot of limestone that soaks up the residual um the the residual energy of of events and 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 stuff that's why quarries are are so haunted and i think in um uh, let's see, was it, um, Russell Rush, who does the, he's one of the, the DJs at, at, I forget what, what, which, which, uh, radio station he works at, but he does his, you know, Russell Rush haunted tour thing. And in one of his ghost hunting episodes, he went to the quarry, uh, I think it was outside of Six Flags. Oh, what? And, and he had some experiences and, and he caught some stuff on tape. And it was, it was pretty incredible stuff. And it's, there's, you know, there's the established lore there. And some of it is wondering is, you know, it's like, is it, you know, cause I hear a lot of the whole, you know, well, maybe the limestone is sucking up the, the residual energies and creating the hauntings. And I think there was a geologist who, who actually did some, uh, sedimentary research around the Stanley Hotel, which was where the, the shining, yeah, the shining was, was recorded. And he made the determination that there was no limestone oh, in their wow. foundation. So whatever was causing the, the, the residual, the, the haunting or the, whatever that, that energy release, it wasn't related to the, to the, the foundation. But that that shows you yeah. that you know a portal can be more than just you know. I had yeah, and I had heard about the the the, the rock being a part of that, but I didn't hear that they that they had they didn't find the um, limestone there. But it, but during our ceremonies, we use, we use some of that uh, what they like rock that's powdered. Um, it'll be, they use that for like especially when some of our indigenous brothers and sisters have passed. Mm. Um, we'll use that to form shapes on the ground in order for them to. To stay for the 
or to help them travel through uh, their journey, which for the next nine days is the, the, a nine days the, the journey. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and that brings me back to this point. I remembered earlier. I was going to say it, but I had a brain fart. <laughs> is that the the is this whole you know ritual and throwing uh, significance on to practices and stuff like that? One of the things that I've noticed is in Hispanic culture, and you, we we saw this in Coco. The graveyard isn't a scary place. No. But, you know, with the Eurocentrism coming in, you know, all of a sudden, you know, overnight, the the graveyard is the scary place. And it's a place where people go around in the middle of the night with their recorders stomping over their graves and stuff. You know, mm-hmm. and I hate that so yeah, much. Yeah. And and the the I, you know, because even in ye olden times, there was a time where, you know, even in, in Eurocentric culture. You know, people, they weren't afraid of the, the grave. They weren't afraid of graveyards either. Mm-hmm. They weren't afraid of cemeteries. It's a place where the families would go and they would have picnics there. They would have fun there. It was sort of like, it was a place of remembrance and also as a celebration of life. Right. And I think our sort of Hollywood, um, uh, Halloween culture, mm-hmm. we're sort of pushing, we're sort of really beating down on the whole, you know, the cemetery is a scary place. And, and I think that's kind of in my, in my vein, it, I just feel it is so uh, disrespectful. Yeah. My family was definitely the type of people that would go to cemeteries and hang out. And <clears throat> we would, we'd always, it was a, we'd make a day out of it. You'd, Make make some food, make pack a lunch, and then we would go and cut all the, the the plots where our families were buried, and clean them up, and leave flowers or put the fake uh, silk flowers or whatever. And you know, some people now are putting lights and stuff. We used to just put flowers and and decorate the areas where our love our past loved ones were uh, were buried. And then we would eat lunch, and then we would chill. And then like so if, if when I got older, um, and I became of age, we would drink beer there. <laughs> um, and so then we would like sit and we would talk about our family and we would drink yeah. beer. And it was kind of like we were drinking beer with our past loved ones, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I, I, that was something that people would be like, well, y'all didn't have the cemetery, you know? And I was like, oh, that's what we kicked. Yeah, at. I mean, it's, it, it doesn't, it's not a bad place. It's not a place to be negative. The other thing too is that when I, my, one of my traditions was that, um, in my family was that we dug the hole. So like if one of our loved ones passed away, we all got a shovel and we all dug the hole. Mm. Um, Maybe there was somebody would come with a backhoe later and help to dig the rest of it because we were all, you know, tired. <laughs> but uh, it was it was always a thing that my father was traditionally he would always show up with at least seven or eight shovels, and we would all hit that. We would all hit the hole. We would all dig it, and then once we got to a good spot and it was it needed to be dug more, you know, we would call the backhoe guy. But you know, it was a tradition around the cemeteries for us, and maybe that's part of the morbid fascination of me and death and mm-hmm. me and all this stuff. But. Uh, it was a big thing for me and the tradition of our family to help uh, to, to spend time with our past loved ones at the cemeteries. Yeah. But we'd eat lunch there. You know, we wouldn't like go home for lunch. We would all kick it in the back of the truck and munch our sandwich <laughs> with our Cheetos crunched in there. You know, yeah. and it was, it was yeah, it was yeah, and, uh, yeah. I do think we're sort of getting away from that. And I, I do think it needs to be brought back. But let's go ahead and let's talk about. What are some of the other podcasts that you listen to? Because I remember you said you listen to Church of What's Happening Now. Let's have some fun now. Let's lighten this shit up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I like to listen to, like, podcast-wise. I listen to the Night Owl podcast out of Austin. That's a really good one. That, and I think they're doing a really good story about uh, telling people stories, uh, especially um, Alexis Arredondo, who's uh, he's a pretty cool dude. 
Um, I follow that guy also on Facebook, and uh, we talk a, uh, a lot about spirits. And he's also a practitioner of the traditional Aztec, Azteca Mexica hmm. uh, I might ceremony. Have to check that one yeah, out. and that's already that's also on my. So we both kind of really uh, have that. Um, I listen to um, like the Church of What's Happening now. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm one. I don't know how I don't know how funny I've been on this podcast, but I'm always joking around. And uh, so for me, comedy is a big thing. Oh God, I love comedy. I listen, yeah, I like. I like to. I used to hate listening to comedy on 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 like a on my like a, like for example as a as a. Um, Exchange for music, you know what I mean? Like, you know, some people listen to comedy on their phone, or like, mm-hmm. instead of listening to music, they listen to like just a whole comedy skit mm-hmm. or comedy skits. I used to hate it for some reason back in the day, and then when I started paying more attention to it, I was like, wow, I think a, a comedy is a realm I want to put myself into as well. Um, yeah, I love I love listening to Church of What's Happening. I love Coco Diaz. My favorite episode is one where he has a star on, and they talk for fifteen minutes, and then it's two hours of him just telling him about the good old days, dude. When he, <laughs> <laughs> when he used to that's my coke. favorite episode, yeah, dude. Yes, and I've listened to just about all his podcasts, except for recent stuff. But yeah, this one where he had like this like super like famous dude on there, and they do talk for fifteen minutes, and then the rest of it was him talking about his old. But I think that he was really just, and I've you noticed now. Um, he was just getting into those edibles, uh, and, and now I think he's mastered his high with the edibles, and so now they have a more balanced conversation. Like I don't know if you've heard the more recent one with Mike Tyson. No, I haven't heard that one. And, and it's a great, great balance of conversation because Mike is man, he's a wealth of information as well. But people used to make fun of him about you know the way he talked, the way he walked, the way his, his whole his whole act and everything. Well, he he's a presence. Yeah, we see him as a presence. We don't see him as a person. Yeah. And so they really get into his personal experiences as far as dealing with the uh, uh, hallucinogenic drugs. Mm. And uh, he talks about his addiction with cocaine and how it was a big thing back in his boxing days. And mm-hmm. uh, But he also talks about like how he has his moments of sobriety in order for him to train up. And at the moment that he was in the podcast, he was talking about how he was training. Yeah, but uh, but but yeah, Coco Diaz is hilarious, dude. I also listened to the podcast called uh, Tiger Belly with... Um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank with the. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard of that one before. I, I know, I know what you're talking about. I think I've listened to an to an episode or two. Every now and then, you know, because when it comes to humor, I I need the dark shit. I need me too, man. It got I to be need, like it's got to be, be regular. Hard. Yeah, I, I listen to Legion of Skanks, uh, Real Ass Podcast, you know, shit like that. The the Louis J Gomez type stuff. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I I just I love that guy. He is so corny and and is just it it resonates with me. And and Legion, um, I was list is like by chance one of my friends, uh, T shirt Joe. He he's on this podcast called. Um, the terrible, horrible crap podcast. And it's basically him and his buddy in Houston. And they talk shit about these horror movies, you know. And like I said, I hate horror movies. I, I, I can't do horror, you know, but I listen to their, their show and they, they talk about these B, you know, terrible horror movies and they yeah. make fun of them, but they're so fucking funny. And, and I've been on their show a few times, you know. <clears throat> I like this one called The Last Podcast on the Left. Oh, yeah. These guys are hilarious. Sometimes I'm just like, yo, get to the point. But the, I, 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 it grew on me a little bit. But they're just talking shit and then they make all the voices and shit <laughs> about that. Yeah, I love that, man. Yeah, yeah. But I like to, I love to hear stories about the occult or stuff about serial killers. 
And so these guys adding the comedy of like all that in between, yeah. it's like hilarious, hilarious. Yeah, there, there was a time like a couple episodes back, like when they were doing uh, what is it, uh, Kingler or one of the Nazi oh, kill, doctors? Kill, yeah, the Killinger, the the guy was a the he would see the visions and. And he was, he was a shoe, he was a shoe. Yeah, not the, the shoe, shoe guy. guy, the one before that, uh, the, the Nazi doctor. Oh, the Nazi doctor. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. that one, I, I didn't like that one because, <laughs> well, no, no, because they, they kept, they, these guys, when they first started, they were edgelords and they would make the dumb jokes. They would make the dumb jokes and, and, you know, do the, do, 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 do. Yeah. And, and with this one, they were being so apprehensive about their humor. Oh, yeah, and they were man, kind of, man. they were kind of, I hate it when they do that. I, I find, I catch myself doing that on some of my episodes where it's like, I, I try to go in for the dark humor, but then I end up I catching that, myself, man. you know, I, it's like, don't, you know, and, and one of my friends, you know, my, my co-host, he caught me up and he said, don't preface stuff. We don't need to preface stuff. They know it's a fucking joke. It's a joke. Yeah. Just get, go for the kill. Well, it's funny because I work in a lot of space of activism and like a lot of, uh, radical, uh, movement workers and that kind of stuff and you know when for example like dave Chappelle started to come out uh with his new episodes of comedy mm-hmm. and he was really edgy about gay people yeah a lot of my a lot of the community was like Mm-mm, we ain't ever watching him again we're gonna boycott him and i was just thinking like it's a joke like he for all we know he doesn't actually behave that way and he doesn't actually t- you know do you know kind of really feel that way but even though in the realm of comedy you're like you're 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 shooting darts at social commentary. Uh, recently, Kevin Hart spoke out about some stuff that we questioned. Um, he, he talked about uh, trans folks and and how uh, if his son was ever caught playing around in women's clothes, that he would like beat his ass. And oh, I think that was the gay stuff, or something like yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah and yeah. then and so he, that was a, another heavy like. So, so my the, my radical folks were just like, I'm never listening to Kevin Hart again. And like I kind of was just like, oh man, I really feel that I hear that, yeah. and I don't think that that's fair that he's that he's saying those kind of things. But at the same time, he's just a tool for what is the comedy, what is the realm of comedy, and mm-hmm. don't take him at all serious. Now, if the dude was running for like if the dude was running for, for office, yeah, <laughs> he might he might well, be an influence on some kind of serious. But he's just a, he's just a comedian. He's telling shitty jokes. Yeah, I think it was D. L. Hughley. He had said. Um, and this what this I found this to be very profound is when you get when you get shit on when you get when you get talked about and all that stuff you're in the game you're part you're playing yeah you're part of the conversation yeah. and when when people say no don't joke about this don't talk about that they're ejecting themselves from, from the, the conversation yeah. they're not being you can't complain about not being included if you exclude yourself. Right, right, right. And that's what that in comedy is being all inclusive. Yeah. I think it was uh, Louis J. Coma said that, you know, they don't say the word faggot anymore. Mm-mm. And they don't say it's like that ran out of it. It died in comedy yeah. because it wasn't getting laughs. Yeah. No one was laughing. It wasn't funny anymore. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's mean to call people faggots, of course, yeah. you know, but, you know, I mean, between friends and stuff, you know, like you and me, we may joke each other, jab each other, hey, faggot, what's up, yeah, you know, yeah. and and we're just joking with each other. Right. But, you know, as far as serious performance comedy, when we're standing in front of a crowd and if we're performing that, you know, we're not going to use that word. We're not going right. to say that because it's 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 that it's it doesn't get the reaction and it went away. And I think that I think that uh, social commentary and uh, people who want to see those things changed 
are gonna are gonna make themselves known in a big way, and I think that so when people stop saying that word, I think that it went out with what uh, what was happening in, on a on a global scale of, of what people are understanding to what, when it comes to using words like you know that or even the n word, right? Um, and so you know it's really it's so I feel like you know if it, it got to change when it's gonna change, it's gonna change when it's gonna change. Um, I, I I listen to everything with an open mind. I am also a very open minded person. Um, but you know, I, I also because I'm so tied in deep with a community of activists and radical uh, movement organizers, I'm also very careful. Which is when I've read about, like like uh, I have like jokes about like porn and that kind of stuff, <laughs> and um, I it's still with that. I'm just like I yeah. wonder who's gonna say Pichu hey, Maniaco. Like this guy's a perv, dude. Like don't listen to him. Don't talk to him. Yeah. Don't don't get me started on porn. <laughs> I, I can go. I there was a time where I could turn. You know the conversation to porn without without you know because <laughs> I, I just I just have the, the the way I guess the way that that the activist people deal with their activism and their cause that's right. me with porn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but as far as you know the, the 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 larger picture of comedy and stuff like that, you know it's it's like you know everyone talks about you know like, like I was saying earlier about being represented and stuff like that but to be you know represent you got to be you got to be part of the conversation and i think yeah. with comedy it's sort of it it's softening the blow because you know they're just jokes so then you know being gay and and being you know trans or whatever being all that stuff it's not taken that seriously and that's the thing is that that you know they they want to be seen as as people you know, not as, as, you know, as, as uh, inhumane, to treat it inhumanely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to do that, you, you do have to, you have to participate, you know, as, as I'd had, and I, and I do think that's a drawback to this. You know, I, I guess I'm going to be like the old man again and say, mm-hmm. Ooh, the millennials, the, the participation trophy of, of we have this thing now where people should get achievement just, you know, without, I, I guess they should get it because they deserve it because it's their time, not so much that they're the best and they earned it. Yeah. And I think that's getting lost in the message that we're, we're doing all these empowerment movements. We're doing all this inclusion stuff like yeah. that. And we want that. We want inclusion, you know, and, yeah. and I understand people wanting that, but you still to, to be at the forefront of comedy, you still have to be the best at comedy. You still have to be, you know, funny as fuck. Yeah, you, you yeah. still gotta. And that's funny because you say that because yeah. one of my biggest fears, I mean, and 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 is starting off and total bombing for a very long time. But if you listen to like Coco Diaz's interviews, you even listen to uh, the Tiger Belly podcast. Whenever they talk about their existence in the realm of comedy, um, they always talk about their first five years was just total bomb. Yeah, and then and then one joke got picked up, and they became that joke, and they had to teach themselves not to just be that one joke. Yeah. For example, like Coco Diaz being the uh, uh, go-to Italian mobster guy. Yeah, he, yeah, and yeah. he was like, "Well, I'm also like a, you know, like a dad and a, and a husband, yeah. and, and I and practice jujitsu." But it was just like, you know, he, he I got, just didn't kick, I just didn't kidnap that motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> I, just, yeah, I had the machine kidnapped. gun too. <laughs> and so you know, it's kind of like you know, it's you know, it's those. I've, I've someone if I ever go into comedy, which you know, like. Big out, big shout outs to my homeboys in the Comedia Gogo realm who've been doing comedy forever. And I just ran into Larry Garza the other day. He went to go see me perform. 
Um, those guys have been doing comedy forever, and now they're just now, now they're starting to get into the realm of like doing comedy, opening up for big acts, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I respect them big time, and I'm just like, man, I wish I would have started when I first met those guys, man. But I now I'm just wanting to, I'm, I now want to kind of start dipping into it, and it's like uh, I don't know, I'm a little late in the game. Yeah, as a musician, I know that because I've been playing professionally for about 15 years, and so like when it comes to the music business, like I know it. Uh, and so, like, I know what it was to, like, bomb really hard in the beginning, you know? Well, I mean, you know, they say it, it's never too late. I mean, Nick DiPaolo started when he was 42, and now he's, like, 50-something, and, and he's, you know, going strong and shit like that. And and it's, you know, it's – comedy is one of those things where, you know, you strive if you're good. Yeah. And this whole, you know, agenda-driven stuff, you know, I mean – I can understand in the, the industry, you know, quote unquote, the industry as in people talking about, you know, which means Netflix and Comedy Central. Right. They're, they're yeah. trying to push a, a certain, you know, a face forward. And I can understand that. But if you're going to push those people forward, make sure that they're there, that they're the funniest and the best of the, of, of, of whatever people that you're pushing forward, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I can understand a lot of people feeling like, well, because of, of them being pushed forward, you know, I don't have as many opportunities. Like you and me starting this podcast, you know, we we got tired of sitting around waiting to be part of the conversation. For sure. So we started our own conversation. And with uh, Louis J. Gomez, he produced his own comedy special. Yeah. Yeah, and he released it on his digital format, and it got on one of the top of the billboards because, you know, that organic of him constantly striving and pushing and making it happen. And, you know, and the thing is, you know, I, I understand industry validation, but we don't always need that. You don't always need that approval to grow or to strive or to, to push forward. And and I kind of, you know, I think that should be applied to everything. Yeah. One of my favorite comedians, um, damn, I'm drawing a blank on his name now that I wanted to talk about him. Um, Man on the Moon, dude. Uh uh, Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Why I draw a blank, blank on his name. <laughs> um, yeah, well, he's one of my favorite comedians for sure. And uh, he was definitely one of the guys that was like a pusher in the industry. The guy was always in trouble. Yeah, he was, he was always, always on. Yeah, he was on people's shitty side, you know. Yeah. Um, and and who knows if that? Who knew? And I guess the people who probably personally knew him. If was it a joke or not? Yeah. Because it was hilarious to watch him get pissed off in the middle of a really important like set right like he was yeah. doing an actual you set. know that 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 famous skit where he was where he wouldn't do the drugs where he wouldn't oh, make where the he, drug where, reference where he where he couldn't play yeah, he, high, said, he couldn't play being high yeah he couldn't play being high and the the guy the blonde guy that's getting all you know out of reach that was michael richards oh yeah 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 michael yeah. richards yeah <laughs> that yeah. was michael richards in real life that was Michael Richards getting pissed off and, and you know, throwing a rage. Dude, he got super pissed. Actually, everybody got pissed. And it was funny because he was just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm just like, I don't know. Is he joking or is he not? Yeah, it re- was genius, dude. For whatever, yeah. I just felt like when I saw that, I was like, it's a genius. And it's crazy that um, uh, Jim Carrey played him because I think Jim Carrey, if anybody, can appreciate a genius. You know? Yeah. Well, he's done so many great things. And I think now he's trying to, to be something bigger. Or, or to have something more meaningful, and it's not what we as an audience want to see him do. 
And he's kind of disappointed in that, that he's trying to sell something, but unfortunately, mainstream isn't buying it. You know, the one thing that's funny that I see as a pattern of people who with a lot of money is that um, they have a lot of time uh, and that they can spend a lot of money on becoming the biggest and better person that they can ever be. So, you know, for example, like Thor, uh, the dude who plays Thor. Or, uh, Chris or, Hemsworth. Yeah, and then or even the dude uh, who plays Aquaman. Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa. Yeah, those guys can, like, spend all the time and money on building their body and being the healthiest person you can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that Jim Carrey is doing that in a spiritual way. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to gain muscle or muscle mass or have the the body of these guys. But he's doing it in a spiritual way. And so, like, uh, I think that he's trying to push himself into that realm of, like, spiritual, strong, spiritual person. And he has all the money and the time to do it. Uh, that people are it's leaving people with a bad taste. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I personally enjoy it because I like what he's saying because I've been talking that shit for a little while mm-hmm. about everybody being like blah 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 and all this yeah, kind of that, stuff. That, and I, that, I've been, that extra existentialism. Yeah, or, and, I, and I've been talking. I've been talking that shit for a little while, and I think that our even the indigenous people have been saying that shit because mm-hmm. when they take you know mushrooms or do peyote or it's some little cactus they have those moments or yeah. that people seek when they want to do DMT. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and he's trying to do it from on top of this altar, but what got him to the altar was talking out of his ass. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's what, you know, that's what it, that's what it's, that is what it's expected of him. Yeah. That was his gimmick, right? That was yeah. his, he was a, people show up to the award shows and be, and people be like, Hey, what's up with you now? And he's just like all weird. Yeah. And, and it's, it, I mean, it's sort of sad in a kind of way, hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's sad for him in that way because, you know, cause he's in this realm where we just want that quick joke and stuff like even, even I admit it, you know, I, I, you know, if he wants to do that stuff, fine, you know, God bless him, whatever. But I still want the poop jokes and stuff. Yeah, like I want that. him to throw himself on the floor yeah. and shit. It's funny. And which is what I've always been a huge person for slapstick comedy too. Like you know, like Chris Farley was a major, major, one of my favorite comedians for sure. Uh, even like uh, more recently as a Chicano comic, and this dude, I don't think he considers himself a Chicano comic, but he's in the realm of that. Is a uh, Pablo Francisco. Uh, he's a Chicano comedian that makes fart j- noises and and says does dumb voices on stage. It's like <laughs> I think it's hilarious, dude. But uh, I've one I'm, I'm a huge person on slapstick comedy, like yeah. Three Stooges kind of shit. Like I've always loved that stuff. Yeah, yeah. remember during the Man on the Moon movie when he I haven't, was, dude, I haven't seen it. I'm gonna admit to it. I haven't seen it, and there, I can't find it nowhere. There was this one part where he was reading. Um, he was reading. Uh, he had a he had a show and basically all he did was he read them the Great Gatsby or something. Oh like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. No, I saw and, that he talked about it. In yeah, an interview. and then and then the his agent, the guy that was played by Danny DeVito, he came. In, he's like, he's like, what are you doing? It's like they wanted greatness, they wanted entertainment. I gave them the Great Gatsby, and then he said, "Who are you trying to entertain? Them or yourself? <coughs> or yourself?" And that. That, I think, is sort of where Jim Carrey has sort of, you know, life imitating art, imitating life. He's gotten to that point where, you know, he's an entertainer, but who is he trying to entertain? That's yeah. that's kind of one of his big conversations about him being who he was and him actually being a person versus him just being a tool for comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was another conversation, an interview that they had with uh, with Chris Farley, who said that I want to live my life completely mirroring John Belushi. And John Belushi, when he died, he died the same way, you know, heroin in his veins, next to a prostitute, overdose. And uh, at the same age um, that Chris Farley died at. And and if you look at a pattern of Chris Farley's life, he was 
imitating John Belushi almost 100%. Yeah. And, and, and it's crazy to think that, man. It's, it's, a, it's a crazy to feel like that you consider yourself that that's what you wanted to do. Yeah. And, and the thing is, he worked so hard to do it that, you know, you got to admire that tenacity. Because everyone who worked with him, I think it was Patrick Swayze who did him opposite in one of his skits. You know, he said, this guy gave 110% in everything he did. Damn. And it's like, you know, when Patrick, Patrick fucking Swayze, the, the, the America's people's sexiest man, you know, the, when he's saying that about you, I mean, that, that is some shit. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is high praise. But it, it's just that, you know, he was working for this goal and he kind of achieved it. But, you know, the rest of us, yeah, we all kind of saw it coming, but we kind of didn't want to because we were laughing so hard. Yeah, man. And there's this, there's these interviews that I watched with him where he's, uh, being interviewed, uh, by like, um, Conan or even, uh, you know, whoever the, whatever the Jay Leno, all those guys, like anybody, any late night talk show that he, that he was doing. And yeah. He usually came in like with a bang, like, you know, jumping in or like busting through some doors or yeah. doing cartwheels and shit. Yes. But then when he would sit down on the couch, the dude was breathing so hard the whole time. Like, the dude was obviously, you, if you if any, if, I can imagine like any health person watching this dude thinking like, oh my God, this dude's can't even breathe because he was so big, dude. <laughs> but like, it was so weird. You're like, you're saying, yeah. you know, we're watching him like, oh shit, the dude don't look like he's healthy, but all of this shit, that shit was hilarious. Dude. He's like, <laughs> too busy, we're too busy laughing. And, exactly. and it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a harsh truth about yeah. the back and forth of who those people actually are even with like robin williams you know yeah yeah that 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 case was was it it was really something and i know that people get sensitive about that when it comes to suicide but you know yeah he, he killed himself but there were so many additional factors onto that mm-hmm. the, like additional mental illness and yeah. stuff like that that was probably masked with his humor his humor yeah. and and it's it's just that you know, it, it's a, yeah, it's, it's a tragedy, but he, you know, he was still one of the greatest comics one out there the and, and the also one of the best dramatic actors I've ever seen. Him, the, he, the fact that he could slip in and out of those roles, man, and still do some hilarious stand up. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I saw this one where him, Richard Pryor, where Richard Pryor was introducing him for one of the first times, and it was a stand up that he was doing. And of course, Richard Pryor is a whole other level of funny. A whole other type of person. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, then uh, he introduces Robert Williams, and then Robert Williams is a whole other energy. And there was two separate energies, but they were amazing together on stage. And it's crazy, man. Think about that. Those guys are as the monsters of comedy. You know, they're like okay, yeah. I remember watching this this uh, one skit. It was like uh, the time that Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase got into a fight. Oh yeah, yeah. I've on, seen that. On, on I think it was, a, was it uh, is on Johnny Carson Johnny or something. Carson. They, they nearly exchanged punches. Yeah, and I'm like, I watched that tape, and you could feel that tension. You could feel it. Like holy fuck. I, and I was thinking, like, fucking Chevy I, Chase, dude. You're an asshole, dude. I love, but I love Chevy, but I love Chevy Chase too, man. I love him, but it's like, dude, you should not have done that. You should you should have just sat down and shut the fuck up. No, he was provoking him. After <laughs> yes. Same oh thing God. with Andy Kaufman and uh, the 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 uh, uh, Michael Richards. Michael, no, no, uh, Andy Kaufman and uh, he had an interview with the uh, with a wrestler. Oh, I, I forget uh, his name. I can't remember. His but name they had right. an actual wrestling match where Andy Kaufman broke his neck <laughs> or something like that, right? He fractured his collarbone or something. He had to wear that uh, neck brace for a while. And so then when they, they brought, I think they brought him on to Johnny Carson or somebody, man. And they did the interview, they interviewed both of them. And 
the guy was just like, I think you, you know, Johnny Coffin, I mean, Andy Coffin was like, you should, you should apologize. And the guy was like, I'm gonna beat your ass again. Like, I'm gonna, I'll do it again. I'd love to do it again. And it was, the guy was provoking him so much that they, he ended up slapping him on, on live TV. And, you know, I can't tell if the genius of Andy Kaufman was actually joking or not, but he was cussing in on the show, which is not allowed. And he walked out and, uh, it was, he was super pissed <laughs> talking about, I'm gonna sue you and all this different stuff. But it was like, yeah. I was like, I can't tell, man, if he's joking or not. Dude, it's like genius, man. You can't tell. <laughs> That's the good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, you know, I guess, I guess we'll wrap it up right here. We, we've gone for a good while. And thank you so much for, for coming on to Conspire a Theory and having this conversation with us. And I hope to see more coming out of your show, uh, Chicanas versus Aliens. Chicanex versus Aliens. Chicanex versus Aliens. I still, still white. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I do hope you, you get a, a lot of good interviews and stuff like that. Cause I'm looking forward to see what you can bring out of the community. Maybe stuff that maybe I can't because, you know, I, I I'm probably not as deep into as other communities as, as you are. So I'm, I'm looking forward and, and I hope that you can come back and we could talk some more shit. Yeah, man. I'm super down. What's up? So go ahead and plug us again. Let us know where we can find you and give us your plugs. So Chicanex versus Aliens podcast. That's X-I-C-A-N-X versus Aliens. You can find me on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, I usually do it out of Anchor. So if you listen to it on the Anchor, on Anchor, you'll probably be able to hear the music that I am featuring in between the song, in between the podcast, which is all my original music, but that I do with Los Navalatos. Uh, which is another band. Um, if you look us up, we have a uh, Facebook. Look under Joaquin Muerte. Um, that is where you can find the majority of my projects. I'm a part of a group called Los Nahuatlatos. I also sing uh, with Eddie and the Valiants. Um, and I have a wedding band called the San Antunes. And when I ain't doing all of that, plus my full-time job, uh, I'm recording the Chicanx versus Aliens podcast. And then, yeah, so if you guys really dig it and you have a story, especially... Raza, have you seen aliens or UFOs? I would love to interview you. Also, if you're part of the LGBTQ community, um, you are also very, very welcome on my podcast. I would love to hear your stories. Todo se vale. So you guys are all welcome to come. Yeah. Do you have uh, Instagram and Twitter? I do. It's all I, the Instagram and I do have a Twitter too. I've already checked my Twitter, but I think there's a connection somewhere in there. <laughs> I just put them together. They, they work together. Uh, but yeah, you can find me Facebook, uh, Instagram, or you can find me on Twitter at uh, Joaquin Muerte, Joaquin.Muerte or Joaquin Muerte. And if you want to hit me up, it's Joaquin.Muerte at gmail.com. I usually just go under the handle of Joaquin Muerte. Um, and that's where I do all of my music work, podcast work, and yeah. My job. My job. No. Thank you for coming on, and we will talk to you later. All Bye, right. kids. Peace.